Today's episode is about reimagining an industry based around customer pain points and the lessons learned along the way. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic, and with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk. And it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally, and you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country, and they're now opening up beta access on a limited basis. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N.app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience to find out the trends that they're paying attention to. We try to learn about the experiments that they're testing, and we ultimately want to tease out the lessons from their careers that we can all learn from and apply to our businesses. Today's episode is another episode where we go slightly outside the sports and entertainment industry to see what we can learn from another industry. We're joined today by Jeremy Parker, the founder and CEO of Swag.com. Jeremy has been an entrepreneur for the last 15 years, founding a few different companies in the B2C space, from Tees and Tats, where they tied high-end t-shirt prices to the stock market, or Vouch, a social media network in 2013 that was focused on social recommendations. Jeremy's built companies that have quickly been acquired, and he's built companies that haven't done as well. And through it all, he's learned a ton of insights that can help you think differently about your business. Jeremy's latest venture, Swag.com, is where we spend the majority of time in this conversation. Swag.com was started to be the best place to buy quality promotional items that people actually want to keep. They've curated the best of what's out there, and they've streamlined the entire buying and distribution experience. This focus has led Swag.com to become one of the fastest growing promotional product companies, ranking number 218 on the 2020 Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies. I thought having Jeremy on the show would be interesting for two reasons. One, you're going to learn a ton about diagnosing customer pain points from Jeremy, and we're also going to unpack how they build products, services, and offerings all around the customer's emotions during the buying process. So this is going to be super relevant for anyone in the sports and entertainment industry, especially anyone in ticketing, sponsorship, donations, or marketing, where customers and fans actually have to make a buying decision. Secondly, we're going to dive into Jeremy's thoughts on the promotional products industry as a whole. 
Now, promotional products have historically been a huge part of the sports and entertainment industry. And I think that Jeremy's thoughts on the trends that he's seeing in the space are going to help you think differently about promotions. If you have colleagues in charge of these areas, I highly suggest forwarding this episode along to them. All right, without further ado, let's jump into this episode with the CEO of Swag.com, Jeremy Parker. Jeremy, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks so much for having me. Really, really excited to be here. Um, all right, so why don't we start with this uh, easy softball question just to get us in the mood. Uh, define swag for us. <laughs> well, there's, it's, I've heard it's an acronym for stuff we all get or souvenirs, wearables, and gifts. But for us, it just means quality products that people will actually want to keep. So what we've tried to do with swag is try to make it fun, but also make it really enjoyable and make it impactful. You know, a lot of people have this uh, bad connotation of swag as stuff that just ends up in the trash. And we're trying to go away from that and trying to make it so when you get it, you actually really enjoy it and you appreciate it because there's really nothing worse than bad swag that ends up in the trash, costing company money, tarnishing your brand, so we're just trying to say, let's just make sure people actually get it, they love it, they want to keep it, and they have a, a really good positive impact for it. Beautiful. Uh, so again, knowing that the the listeners of our show are tend to be leaders in sports and entertainment, I think everybody is pretty familiar with swag, but I, I'm hopeful that this changes some people's perception of how they utilize it uh, and how it can be impactful. So uh, normally we don't touch on a whole ton of career stuff, but I do want to hear a brief background of how we got to you founding swag.com? Because I think there's some interesting insights that we can unpack in, in your story. Yeah, sure. So I was a I was a filmmaker in college. I actually went to a school for marketing originally, but I looked at the course curriculum between marketing and film. They were pretty much the exact same thing, except for with film, I would learn how to make videos. And this was at the early onset of YouTube. And I thought that that would probably be useful to be able to tell a story through a video. Um, I did that. I ultimately ended up winning the Vail Film Festival for a documentary I made, it was a feature lane documentary. I was at the Vail Film Festival and I'm on the top of the mountain and I'm looking at, you know, half the room are these big celebrities that everyone's heard of and half the room are these struggling artists. And I had to do one of these like internal gut check questions to myself, like number one, am I good enough? And number two, do I truly love what I'm doing? So both the answers to those questions were no, I, I didn't think I was honestly the best filmmaker. <laughs> even though I was winning this film festival, film award and I didn't really truly love it. It was never really my true passion. Ultimately after college, I started a company because I didn't know what else to do. And I wanted to learn what I was good at, what I enjoyed. And I started this high end t-shirt company called Tees and Tats. And we were selling like $200 t-shirts to different boutiques all around the country. We were selling to 40 different stores, really a lot of success early on. Three months later, the pandemic, I mean, not the pandemic, the first recession hit. <laughs> it, feels like the, it feels like the pandemic. 2007 recession hit. All Bear Stearns went under and Lehman Brothers went under. And frankly, all the stores we were selling to went under as well. And we had to kind of pivot, really pivot and try to think outside the box of how could I still make sales? How can I still sell high-end t-shirts to a world that doesn't really want to buy stuff because everyone's losing all their money? So we came up with a gimmicky marketing idea that we tied the prices of our shirts to the prices of the Dow Jones. So for every 100 points the Dow dropped, they would get a discount on their t-shirt price. And I wrote this letter to Mark Cuban, who's one of the bloggers, obviously Mark Cuban billionaire, but he had a blog called Blog Maverick. And he responded to me within 10 minutes and said, Jeremy, I love your story. Can I post this story on my blog? I said, great, post it. Ended up getting picked up by AdAge. They wrote an article, got seen by the CEO of MV Sport, which is a really large player 
in the promotional product space, but also in the collegiate apparel space. Um, and he reached out and we became friends. And I started to really learn about this industry that I had no clue about, this promotional industry. And I realized the importance of apparel, importance of products that connects teams together. You know, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody wearing your favorite sports team or your college, you're going to have some sort of real connection to that person immediately. You don't know who they are. You have no idea about their life, but you've had this kind of instant connection to them. And I think it's just a really powerful thing. So I always was really became interested in this promotional product space and it led me to, you know, swag.com 12 years after. All right. Uh, a few things I want to hit on, but for the sake of time, I really want to go a little bit deeper into some of the work that you did with MV Sport. Before we get into, we're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about swag.com. But before before that, you spent some time with MV Sport and you really got to understand some of the collegiate landscape of how promotions work and licensing and the difference between the university and the athletic department and the campus bookstore. And I mean, talk to us a little bit about your perception uh, as to that model. Uh, I'm curious as to some of the takeaways and learnings you had from, from dealing with that. Yeah. I didn't realize how difficult it would be to actually get anything done. You know, obviously there's a licensing department and I expected, I was a young kid, I was 22. I thought, Oh, and now I have a partnership with MV sport that has these relationships with all these universities and they have the licensing contracts. It would be so easy to, uh, to work with them. And basically, just so you know the idea of Vote for Art, this business that I started under MV Sport was to reimagine schools' logos. So I went to Boston University and I never bought a Boston University t-shirt. So I thought it'd be really cool if the students could reimagine their school's logo, do like a design contest, and the winning design would sell at the bookstore and t-shirts, the basketball stadium, the football stadium. So it would just make it really cool. Even though we had the licensing agreements to convince the licensing manager at each individual university, it was very challenging. Like a lot of people were like, no way can you change my logo. No way can you change a color. Like even a slight color. So clearly a design contest just wouldn't work. Then once we actually convinced a licensing you know, department, I mean, that first contest was with Purdue University. So we could convince Purdue University to allow us to reimagine the school's logo. Once what, we did wait, wait, wait. What was, what was the logo? Because Purdue, Purdue is a, a client of ours. What, what was the logo? The boiler. I mean, the, end of, the one that ended up winning was like a boiler. A boiler. So we did like hundreds of contests. Like boiler. <laughs> what's it, are they like the boiler? A boiler maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's like a boiler maker with a guy with a hat and he was you know, jumping and dunking a basketball. That was the ultimate winning design. But we had okay. hundreds of submissions. And what happened is once we actually convinced the licensing department to do it, then it was a whole other thing. Now we had to convince the bookstore and they're not the same. Like I assumed if you're talking to university, the licensing and, and, and the bookstore, the basket, they're all run by different departments. They're all oh, run completely. by different people. So something that I thought should be so simple, it took me literally months to, to negotiate these deals. And once we, you know, the first like 10, 15 were really hard and then it got a little bit easier, but you always run into companies or to schools, you know, frankly, it just, we have no patience for it. I mean, it would not even allow you past the first step. So it was complicated. It was difficult. It was challenging for sure. All right. I'm going to ask this same kind of question a few times uh, because I just, I think you have a really unique vantage point of having been a, a, a vendor and a successful entrepreneur uh, now. Uh, I mean, you had been then, but uh, as you think about this, I, how might you, if you had a blank canvas, I'm sure you maybe you've given some thought to this. If you had a blank canvas, how might you reinvent that entire process from the university side? What might be some things that you might do differently, knowing yeah. what you know now about e-commerce and changing consumer behaviors, et cetera? Yeah, I, I, I right now I do honestly understand the licensing. I understand the license department wanting to protect their logos. I understand that 100%. But I think they should be a little bit more open-minded to 
kind of different kind of designs, perspectives, and things that actually sell. You know, if everyone looks at collegiate apparel as somewhat boring, because they do, um, and you can make it more fun, why would you want to make it more fun? So I think there's definitely a balance. With the bookstore and the basketball stadium, they should just offer products that sell, like frankly. So to me, I was saying to them, we know for a fact we're getting a thousand submissions. We're getting tens of thousands of votes on the designs. You're literally having a, a guaranteed sell right here. If you say the winning designs get sell at the bookstore, you're going to drive so much traffic. It's a no-brainer for you to want to be doing this contest with us. And a lot of companies, a lot of these bookstores and basketball teams just didn't want to try anything new. They didn't want to rock the boat. So I think just people in general need to be a little bit more open-minded, a little bit more creative. And, uh, and I think that would just make everything work. And honestly, I think the partners should work together. I don't think it felt very much so that the, that the license, and this is, I'm trying to remind myself of 12 years ago. So long <laughs> but the licensing department was so disconnected to the bookstore. It was actually like they're working against each other. Like I, it would take me three months to convince the licensing and the bookstore would be like, because the licensing wanted to do it, the bookstore would be like, nope, we don't want to do it. And it was like, they're not working at all together. And the whole point is that you get products sold, you get your brand out there, you get more money in the door, you get more exposure to your brand. So I think people just need to like work together a little bit more. I, I know we're going to talk about this, uh, but I think it's interesting too, because it feels like to me from my vantage point that oftentimes a lot of these resources are outsourced, uh, if you will, to these larger organizations. And so the larger organizations are just driving it down at the local level saying, hey, this is what works for us across the board. And I think as consumer behavior has become more niche, 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 to your point about uh, the company that you had, where it was actually crowdsourcing basically designs for what resonates with that customer base, it is going to be different than what resonates on the national level, but it's going to be more important to the people that are actually buying the product. And I think that's what you guys have done with, with swag.com a lot is, is really focus on that customer and what is that specific customer, what's going to resonate based on the specific brand that that's actually distributing them. Um, I, I don't know if you had any thoughts or you wanted to expand on that. No, no, I think it's, that's exactly right. I think for my entire career, I learned a lot of what not to do. I think every single kind of new business I've started, it's always been a, a process of learning and getting better and saying, I will never make that mistake again or doing things a little bit differently. Um, and I have a lot of lessons, I think, that I've learned over the course. And now we're at this point where swag, thank God, is working really well. And, but it's obviously a process where you launch things and it still doesn't work and you got to keep refining and making it better and keep pushing what was the biggest lesson you learned not to do from the time at MV Sport that has now translated into swag.com? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson I've learned, and, I, and it took me a while to learn it. It wasn't just MV Sport. I made the mistake at MV Sport. I made the mistake on a subsequent startup before swag where I thought I'm a product person. So I'm like very, I'm very passionate about the user experience and design, how things look. That's like my, my baby and what I really love to do. And I think when you're a product person, you don't want to launch something because you want to make sure it's exactly right before you launch it. And when I've realized through success and failures before swag is that you just got to get things out the door right away because you don't know what the right thing is. Like everyone has in their mind of what the right business to build is, what the right product to build is. And ultimately when you launch something, you're going to realize that 90% of the things that you kind of toiled and couldn't fall asleep at night working over the customer couldn't care less. They don't care about it. It's like the 10% that you didn't even think about. That's the stuff that they really care about. And you're not going to know that nope. until you launch something and you learn and you adapt and you launch. Like there was a startup right before Swag called Vouch. And I built this social networking app. And it was, it was kind of like democratizing Oprah's favorite things for everybody. So it was like you vouch for your favorite movie and book. And I think it's still an amazing idea. I did, we didn't execute properly, but we had celebrity partners and investors. And I did this with like, 
I had the perfect team to make a huge, huge success. And we didn't make it work because the issue was we spent so much time building the platform a year and a half before we ever launched it. And by the time we launched it, it wasn't the right platform. The customers didn't want what we built. And I think with Swag, we took a very different approach. We made sales from day one. Like I made the sale to Facebook without having a website. I had a landing page. And I went and I knocked on the door to Facebook and I got Facebook as a customer. And then we went to WeWork. We got WeWork as a customer. We kept replaying that. And it was just about getting out of my own way, learning from our customers what they really wanted and only start to build the product based on their feedback. So I think for any entrepreneur, it's just kind of just take the first step and learn as you go and don't kind of, you know, hold it in and try to make it perfect because it's never going to be perfect. We, it's a lesson I'm still dealing with, right? I mean, where we constantly get in our own way because we're like, Ooh, that, that landing page isn't exactly the way we want it. So we delay it a day. And it's like, we should have just shipped it out yesterday and took advantage of the time that it actually made sense to push it out. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, so tell us a little bit more about swag.com. Uh, and what exactly is the differentiator in the marketplace? Because obviously a lot of people listening probably have their go-to uh, promotional companies, if you will. Uh, so so what is the true differentiator here of swag.com? You guys have obviously crushed it this year. We can talk a little bit about that. But tell us a little bit about the, the value prop and what's the differentiator from all your competitors. Yeah. So we started the business uh, in 2016, early 2016. So we're just you know on our sixth year right now. Um, and basically the idea was to really streamline the entire buying experience, making it really easy for customers to find what they're looking for, design it and buy it in a matter of seconds. That was the initial idea. And it seems obvious or easy, but frankly, the promotional landscape is so fragmented, broken, old. It's like heavily reliant on back and forth emails and presentation decks and phone calls and these email chains. It's very old and complicated. And frankly, it's complicated. So we try to make it very simple. So instead of offering a thousand mugs and t-shirts they have to sift through a big catalog we said here are the top 25 in each category and we vetted it and tested it and make sure it's really high quality then once you find the product that you want as opposed to having to say hey i'm looking for 100 quantity with the front and the back print and my front has a three color logo and the back has two and then you have a back and forth email you upload your logo on our site our site detects how many colors are in your logo and the nearest panto match so we make sure we're doing you know coca-cola red and not staples red so you can really break it down by colors. You can maneuver the logo. You can mock it up to exactly what you want. The typical process, even for the e-commerce sites in the industry, 10 to 15 minutes to check out. You know, Ours is less than three minutes. You can upload your logo, mock up, check out in seconds. So it's much faster. And that's what got us in the door with a lot of companies really trying to streamline it. But then it became something else. Over the last couple of years, we realized that the work from home culture was taking off. And if companies could buy swag and send it to their office, what if they could buy swag and now hold it in our fulfillment center for warehousing distribution. So instead of sending a thousand t-shirts to one address, they can now send a thousand t-shirts to a thousand different addresses. So when you're engaging with your remote employees, you're sending swag to your favorite leads to help close sales or sending swag to virtual event attendees or sending swag to your best customers to engage with them. All these different use cases with a click of a button, you could say, send to my office or send it to our 3PL fulfillment center. And then you can manage your distribution from there. So Swag distribution has taken off tremendously because it went from like a nice to have to frankly a need to have. Everyone needs it. And we're the only company in the entire industry that has an e-commerce component attached to a distribution platform. So most of the other distribution platforms, you still have to do the manual process of buying swag up front, back and forth. Ours is effortless. Click a button in inventory distributed. Huge. Uh, I, I, we're probably going to have a conversation about this afterwards because because we have swag that we send to people after after uh, the shows and whatnot. At least we're 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 starting to. Um, so there's a separate sidebar conversation there. Uh, but 
I want to ask this question. I mean, obviously, there's a a larger customer journey that you guys have mapped out in the buying process. How did you guys decide what to optimize? I mean, you mentioned the checkout process taking 10 to 15 minutes and you guys got it down to three. How did you decide, hey, obviously, there's lots of peaks and valleys in this customer journey. This one is the one that we really want to differentiate on. Yeah. So I think our first step was just trying to understand who our core customer is. That was the first thing. You know, I had envisioned... And, and how, did, how did you do that? Yeah, go ahead. So we did that because we started talking to as many different people within the organization. Every company we spoke to, who we thought, you know, we had a, we had a list of, of potential customers that we thought we could go after. So there's the marketing team that buys swag for trade shows, and there's the sales team that buys swag for leads, and the office manager buys swag for internal use. HR managers buying swag for onboarding new hires. All these different big divisions are buying swag for very different reasons. You can't go after everybody, you know. It's, especially as a startup, you have very limited resources. It's me and my co-founder Josh. We had no money. Like, how do we even get our name out there? How is it even possible? So, what we did is we just spoke to hundreds of people in all these different departments, and we treated it as worst comes to worst. They don't want to buy from us, but at least we're going to learn something. And then we learned who our core buyers should be, and what we realized is all these buyers are ultimately our vision. We want to get all of them, but to start, let's go after the office manager. And the reason why we went after the office manager first is number one, it's not as sexy. So we figured that other companies will probably not be trying to appeal to the office manager. Typically, the marketing team has much bigger budgets. So everybody goes after the marketing team to sell swag, but no one's really going after the office manager because historically, they think of them as having less of a budget to spend. But for us, that was perfect because in our mind is if I can sell a thousand t-shirts to an office manager, they're buying for their internal office. Every single t-shirt to swag.com on the inner label. So then they're kind of like a Trojan horse strategy in many ways, exp- like introducing swag.com to all the different departments. And that's what happened. We just went off to the office manager, a lot easier to sell. They're 22 to 25 year olds. They don't come with you know, relationships from previous companies or preferred vendors that they've used in the past. They're fair game and they're young and they'll appeal to our brand. Once you get them in the door, now they're expanding to all the other departments. And then you start getting the marketing teams and the sales teams. Now we're working, obviously, with many divisions. And you know, we have customers like TikTok. We have 20 different divisions within their company buying swag. But to start, we had to be super laser focused on the core buyer. And once we pinpointed office managers, we said, well, how do they buy swag? And let's make the experience so easy for them to buy swag. So every feature that we were thinking about, I would treat them like a customer, but obviously also as kind of like a a product associate, like they were telling me what I needed to build. Hey, we would love to not have to go back and forth with the Pantone markup and that, okay, we're going to detect it. Like every single thing was for a reason. It wasn't just because it looks cool or sounds cool. It was to get them through the funnel much faster. Beautiful. Uh, I want to, I want to ask this now that we're back to kind of the customer journey. I mean, one, I think for identifying your customer, I love what you guys did of going out and actually having conversations with the customer instead of just looking at survey data and whatnot. You actually sat down and had conversations. I think it's something a lot of uh, sports and entertainment organizations can learn from. Um, but now that we're back to kind of this customer journey and identifying things like the Pantone matching, obviously, you guys probably got a lot of feedback especially right up front. And you had a bunch of things that you could work on all at the same time. And you knew all of them were important. How did you decide which one was more important than others? I, I, I'll leave it there. Yeah, no, so that's a great question. We actually have something internal. Like I, we designed something about three years ago and I don't want to ruin it because we eventually may launch it at some point, but we always found more priority features that were more priority. So internally, when we say, well, we're not, if we don't build this, like the thing that we had been designed three years ago, we're going to push, keep pushing that off and it keeps going to the backlog because we keep adding additional things in front of it. And we, I think for us, it's just measuring what's really the most impactful for right now. That's really it. Like in the beginning, 
we had the idea for the distribution platform, but we weren't going to focus on building a distribution platform before we obviously have a regular e-commerce experience that can go through. Then once we build the regular e-commerce, we say, okay, this is a big pain point. Every single person, when they upload their logo and mock it up, they always have to get the designer to tell them the Pantone colors. No office manager knows what the Pantone color even is. It's impossible. So if you're if you're adding that step of an office manager having to hunt down their designer to get the thing, that could prevent people from checking out. So every single big roadblock, we just put it on the list and we said, we got to solve this thing. And we didn't, we didn't worry really about having to build everything at once. We figured that if we could just build the, the needed things, like the, just for example, 2017, we launched the first version of our e-commerce site. It was, it was pretty shitty. Honestly, 2017 site was not very good, but we did transact about 1.1 million through the site, right? So it definitely proved that there was a need for it, even though it wasn't an amazing plot product to sell. 2018, site's getting better. I feel it's getting better. Things were chipping away at issues. Did about 3.1 million in sales. So things are getting better, but still not where it needs to be. 2019 did about 7 million in sales. And we keep finding these issues that are like preventing people from checking out and customers. Really, 90% of the features we build are really just told to us by our customers. In the beginning, it was me talking to the customers directly. And now that we have a team of 50 plus people, it's our customer success people talking to the customers and they're giving me what to build. Like I'm still product. And it's just like a, it's a funnel. It's like, hey, these are the five top five things that we don't have on our site that the customers ask for. Send it to me. I keep it on the list and I monitor it. You know, if 10 people ask for the same thing, then maybe we prioritize that over something else. So we're only building really what our customers want. It's not necessarily at this point, even what we envision or think is going to be the future. We're really just at this point trying to build what the customers are asking for. It's interesting about what you're, the language that you're using here too, because I think in sports and entertainment, we sometimes think about it on the opposite side. And I, I think the language that you're using is really interesting here, where every improvement was about preventing, how can we, what is in the way of them checking that out? What is preventing them from checking out? And let's remove that hassle. I think a lot of times in sports and entertainment, we're always thinking about how can we get somebody excited mm-hmm. to buy our product? Right. And I think there is a subtle nuance because one is about adding and the other one is about removing. And I think oftentimes with what with everything you're saying, it's about how do we make it easier? Right. As opposed to saying, how can we jazz this up and make sure that we've got the the best features? You're almost getting the best features by purely saying, how can we remove hassles? 100 percent. And that gets in the way of so many different products. And I'm sure you guys play around with products. There's always like an experience that's just so convoluted and confusing. And you're like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. They're taking me all over the place. And with custom promotional products, historically, there's 30,000 of us, right? There's 30,000 companies that, that you could buy promotional products from. 99% of them don't have, even have a site. The 100 that do have a site, I mean, look at it. I don't want to name names, but you can't even upload your logo to see what the logo looks like on the product. It was built 20 years ago and it hasn't changed. They haven't updated, they haven't removed it, they haven't simplified it. And our feeling is, Let's try to remove all of the barriers for everything. Let's make the process simple as possible. And if something's not needed, we even if we think we like it, it's a great idea, let's remove it. Let's hide it. Let's put it somewhere else. Let's let's try to avoid, let's try to get people from point A to point B to point C and let's get them through the funnel really, really quickly and not try to add too many things. As you're saying, like add too many things that excite them. The product should excite them. The main feature should excite them, but the actual experience doesn't need to excite them. It just needs to make it easy for them to actually purchase or 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 make it from A to B. I love it. Uh, all right, let, let's kind of ch- transition topics a little bit. Uh, I, I, I've heard you talk about this before, and and I think it's just a really interesting story that we can distill some insights from. Uh, let's talk about the actual domain name, swag.com, uh, yeah. how you guys went about that, the importance of it, and the story there. 
Yeah. So when we realized we wanted to do swag, swag, the business of swag, um, obviously we had an idea, we had a vision. And as I said before, we didn't know all the right things to build. We didn't know where our core customer was really. We didn't know what the product should look like at all. We had to really learn from our customers, but we knew something from the very get-go, from the very start that we needed. And we needed a strong brand name. And we noticed this because every other promotional product, there's 3000 of them. I'm sure you can't even name what's the go-to place to buy promotional products. There's not like the Google of swag. It's not, there's no one brand that this is the place I do this, right? This is the place. And we realized isn't that weird? You know, if Facebook is trying to buy a thousand t-shirts and clearly Facebook cares about their own brand. Wouldn't they want to work with a company that cared about their own brand? Like wouldn't they want to, and, and it's not just the name of the brand, it's the design, it's aesthetic, it's how things look. So we try to figure out, well, what's the perfect name for us to have? And swag.com was so memorable. It was kind of like our, we like to think, I, I watched Game of Thrones. I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones. Big Game of Thrones guy. I almost got a Valar Morghulis tattoo. Uh, <laughs> still, still in the works, but anyway, go ahead. We kind of always want to think of our swag.com name as kind of like our dragon. Like what is our special sauce that other people don't have? And people like undervalue brand names, honestly. They think, oh, it's, it's the product. It's the product. And yes, the product has to be excellent. But a name could also, at least in the beginning, early days, differentiate. And over time, it could actually make people remember you, which is very powerful. So we went after the domain name. The guy was asking 1.2 million. He was actually, we didn't have that clearly. We didn't have that kind of money to spend on a domain name, even though we knew how valuable it was. And probably looking back, if we couldn't get it down, which we got it for 200,000 ultimately, I would have bought it for 1.2. I really think it's that worth it and it's played such a big part. But what happened is we negotiated him down to $200,000 and we still don't have that money. So what we did is we... Worked at a deal with him where we would exclusively license the domain name for a, for a two-year period with the option to buy. Because we knew that we need to get it out into the market, build a site on swag.com, and that if we could prove the business, then we'll have money to buy the domain name from the guy. And all we had to do is give him a little bit of equity. And for us, either you're going to have a big brand, you're not going to have a brand. And for him, it was great because worse comes to worse. If we couldn't pay him, he gets the domain name back and he gets to keep equity. Like it was totally, it was risk-free. We wanted to build like a risk-free for both of us. Like if it great worked for great for us, then we could clearly buy it. If we couldn't do it, then he gets his money back. So made a really easy process to, for him to say yes. I, I just I love the creativity that you guys went to the lengths of trying to get the name. And I, I love the fact that, again, it's even with the name, it was still something that you said, how can we make it easy for people to remember? How can we make it easy? How can we make it easy? Even in as far as the domain name. How long was that guy sitting on that domain name? I don't, I don't know. And I think, and I hate to say this, I think he was selling it to the wrong audience. Honestly, mm. I think that, if he went to any of the promotional product companies and said, I swag.com, I think he would have sold it in a second for over a million dollars. Easy. Crazy. The problem was his audience. I think he was trying to sell it to more of a, the urban de definition of the word swag to have like swagger, you know, to be cool. And I think he was probably going after like the musicians or pop stars. Mm. He was not selling it to an audience that was starting to call promotional products swag. And I think he, that was a kind of like a misstep on his part of who he was selling it to. Um, but for us, we got obviously very lucky that it all worked out. We got the domain. And what's been amazing is people could see an ad for us like in January and in December, they they just remember the name and we get that all the time. Like, how do you hear about us? Oh, we saw an ad. We clicked on a, a content piece that you guys did nine months ago when you guys were retargeting us. And then we just clicked into it. And what's really great is people don't even need to click on the, the retargeting ads. They just remember the name so well that they type it directly into the browser. So we're able to you know convert customers without having to really pay for them. And that was by design. And that's what we thought was going to happen. 
but it's been really amazing that actually it really did happen. It's, that's awesome that it's paid off. And and this year has been a really good year for you guys, despite the fact that we're we're in a pandemic. And I think most I would have to imagine most promotional businesses have not done great this year. But it, yeah. but it seems like you guys had a great year. Yeah, no, it was, it was a it was a great year, a very trying year, an exhausting year. I mean, a lot of personal things. I had my first kid, and it was congrats. Thank you so much. And I was living at my parents' house for a period of three months and, you know, with COVID and trying to be safe and every, you know, moved out of my apartment in Manhattan because I was like the epicenter of it when it launched at New Jersey. And now I'm living in New Jersey. It's a different time. But yeah, it's been a crazy year. We have grown over 100%. So in 2019, we did about 7 million in sales. And in 2020, we ended up breaking 15 and a half million in sales. And what happened is, which is actually crazy, in March, the first week of March, we were doing about 200,000, which was right before the pandemic hit for the first week. Second week of March rolls around, we do 19,000. So our sales fall off a cliff. And our February sales were 850,000 approximately, and March was 350,000. So now we have this growing team. We just hired people. You know, We're really growing. We felt like we weren't really like in a growth phase to now be like, what do we do? And it makes sense that the industry was down. You know, there's no trade shows, no one's in the office buying swag, no one's being hired, so no one's onboarding their hires. Like it makes sense. And the whole industry is really, really down. But we were able to pivot, really focus on the distribution side of things and, and build a need for customers. Well, if everyone's remote, how can we allow them to stay more connected than ever? And that was kind of our focus. Everyone's disconnected, everyone's feeling lonely, everyone's feeling scared. How can companies do something to make their feel their team feel like as a team, like their family? So swag distribution became a necessity. This is a lesson we talk about a lot on here, which is ultimately putting uh, understanding the deeper needs of your customer. And I love that you guys, it seems like you, you completely changed the way you even market based around the needs, the changing needs of the customer and putting yourself and having empathy for that customer and saying, okay, if I were them, what would I need right now? What might be the thing exactly. that I need? Yeah, we, I mean, we redesigned the whole, uh, pretty much the whole homepage, all the different marketing, all the different language, we gave everyone free storage fee for the first six months. So like we just said, for the rest of 2020, literally hold your stuff in our warehouse for free. Um, and it allowed a lot of customers to feel safe. Like, well, I'm not going to have to ship it to my own apartment to package things up and send to all my remote employees. Let me just hold an inventory with swag and it's completely free to use. So it made it really easy for them to say yes. And it made it easy for them where they didn't have to be. You know, frankly, at the same time, a lot of people were nervous about packages in general. I don't remember, remember the beginning of the pandemic. Oh man, I'm wiping down like Uber Eats packages with chloroform. Like it's impossible. Like imagine you want to send a hundred t-shirts to a hundred different employees. You're gonna literally send all these t-shirts, have to wipe everything down. It would be a nightmare. So we want to streamline it and make it feel very safe. What have been some of the biggest learnings that you've had in, in terms of like how you feel like the industry has changed? Obviously, you you kind of hit on it where Everybody now might not be sending stuff to to clients as much. Maybe you're sending it to your own internal employees. Um, but how have you seen the the kind of swag business change or the promotional products business change over the last twelve months? And and maybe the next next question would be where do we think it's going uh, in the next twenty four months? Yeah. So in the early days of the pandemic, every article around promotional products was all about PPE. You know, it's all about like, hey, is, is masks could be a big thing? Is that and and I and I'm thankful for masks. And honestly, it let us hold our business over a little bit, and we were able to donate 5,000 masks last year based on our 
you know, sell it. We, we, we did a deal where basically masks for all, where everybody buys a hundred masks. We give 10 masks to people who need homeless shelters, first responders. So we were able to donate a lot of masks. But for us, it was always, it was, masks was such a, like a, a small bl- blip in the thing. It was all about distribution. Like it was hundred percent. It was so clear to us from the moment it happened, distribution is where we need to be. And it's not just distribution making it easy to send swag. It's also the swag management side of things. If you have all these different departments all working so remotely in different areas, when you're in the office, just imagine like you're the marketing team, the sales team, they can meet up, they can talk about things, they can you know, collaborate. It's much harder when everyone is so disconnected, they can't be in the same room. So we try to build, is not only a distribution platform, but it's really a management platform. So you can create a swag closet, as we call it, like a virtual online closet for your marketing team. And only your marketing team should get access to that. Or the sales team, only your sales team gets that, or the London office or the New York office. So you could break it down by department, locations, permission settings, approval flows. We built this whole robust platform. So only like the 20 people in marketing should get access to the marketing closet. And Jennifer in marketing, she's the boss. So she approves of all the orders of everybody else. So we really try to build this hierarchy and make it customizable for any company and do it for free. So we really believe that that's going to be a big thing as the pandemic hopefully ends. But even so, when it ends, talking to our customers as we try to do always, we're realizing that people will probably go back into the office like one or two days a week. It's never going to be a full-time thing. They're probably going to downsize their office space, which means they're not going to have enough room in their office to have that swag closet. They're going to have to use a platform like ours to hold things. It's going to be a lot cheaper to warehouse it in the middle of nowhere, a fulfillment center, than to hold it in their, you know, a room in New York City where the real estate is a lot more expensive. So swag distribution, swag management, is I, our belief is for the next couple of years is going to be the priority. Um, But in the future, it's going to be swag automation. And that's really what we're trying to get this year. We're basically, imagine you could buy swag, a thousand t-shirts in inventory, and then you could build interactions why something will be distributed automatically. So it's somebody's birthday. They automatically get a swag box. So you don't have to go into the site. Somebody's one year anniversary. Somebody buys a thousand dollars or stuff on your Shopify site. It automatically triggers a notification to our site to send them a gift in the mail. You know, somebody hasn't placed an order in three months, send them a gift. Somebody's, you know, filled out a form on your website, send them something. So literally build in interactions through an API or a Zapier plugin or whatever, where it just triggers a notification that we send it out. And we're working towards that. And the goal for us is just to make sure the first process of buying swag is easy, which we've done. Now it's about making the distribution part easy, which we're still trying to refine and make better. And there's a lot of complications, but we're working through all those kinks. And once we really get our distribution platform to where it really needs to be, then turn on the automation piece and allow people to automate that distribution. I think we're going to title this episode like making swag easy or something like that because this it keeps coming back to this theme of how do we just make it easier for people. Um, there was one company in here that you mentioned, uh, Zapier. If you guys are listening to this or if people are listening to this and, and you don't know what Zapier is, go check it out. It's going to make your life a hell of a lot easier because of the automation aspect of it. And Jeremy, everything I hear you saying, right? If I'm listening to this and I'm more of like a maybe a marketing coordinator, I might be thinking, well, so much of my job is managing these promotional items, packaging them. What does that do for my job? Where does that leave me? And the reality is you shouldn't be doing these menial tasks like packing boxes and whatnot. I mean, that is stuff that you can automate. And and there is a higher value for that employee's time that they could be doing more creative things and problem solving and working on improving the business rather than packing boxes. That is something that you can outsource, automate at a lower price, and it's going to ultimately save you money. Oh, 100%. By the way, it definitely saves you money because when we look at... By the way, we're giving our shipping rates and we're shipping millions of dollars worth of stuff all over the place. We're giving our exact shipping rates, our exclusive rates to our customers. 
So we try to make this entire distribution platform effortless. There's no membership fee. There's no, there's no like you have to pay a platform fee. We spend millions of dollars building our distribution platform and we're giving it to our customers for free. Literally, it's for free. There's nothing. You could have a limited number of swag clauses. You could have thousands of your employees. Everyone gets access to this platform is able to distribute stuff for free. The only cost you have to pay is the pick and package fee of picking the products off the shelf and packaging up and the distribution. And our distribution costs, we're giving you our costs of our shipping costs. So if you ship through us versus shipping yourself, it's going to be a lot less expensive. So you're actually be saving money by going through a platform and obviously freeing up your time. And you're right. No one should be dealing with these menial tasks. Like as your job, you shouldn't be looking forward to that. You should be trying to get rid of that so that you can have more time to do other things that are more impactful for the business. Uh, yeah, 100%. It's, it's time to like... I think people, sometimes when, when we have conversations with with more like in the manager level uh, with sports and entertainment companies, you know, sometimes I think there's a defensiveness around like, this is my job. Like, what do you mean you're going to take it away? What am I going to do then? Um, and, and there's a million things that you could be doing other than, than doing this. And I think there also is another lesson there of as a leader, right? Sometimes you do have to spend some of that money to save you money, right? And it, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but they might be thinking about it. Well, I've got employees that can pack those boxes. And it's like, no, instead invest in the service and free those guys up to do a ton of other things uh, that actually make you more money. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, I I do want to talk about some of actually the promotional items that you, you offer on swag.com. I I think the the tagline for you guys really more is quality products. Uh, Too often I've go, I go to games or different events and I get something that I'm like, I'm never going to use this US. This, it's a, it's a crappy plastic USB or a, a pleather, you know, a, a pleather little notepad. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? It's going to go in the trash. And I think exactly. it values the brand. So how do you guys think about promotional products in terms of that? And yeah. So I, for, there's a, there's a thing that we used to think about in the early days. Think of, all the marketing mediums that you could do, right? You have TV commercials, you have print ads, you have billboards, you have all these different things. TV, people are programmatically set in their mind to fast forward through commercials, right? People are trying to avoid ads at all costs in in this world. You don't think about, but they really are. When they open up a magazine, they flip through the ads, they try to go to the content. On your browser right now, I'm sure every single person has like an ad blocker. You try to avoid the ads. When somebody gives you a high quality piece of swag, you say, thank you. It's like literally the only marketing medium where somebody's actually saying, thank you. But as you say, if it's if it's throwaway, you're not going to say thank you. You're going to end up in the trash. It's going to cost the company money. It's going to tarnish their brand. So our focus from day one was only offering products that people actually want to keep. That was it. That was like our, our mantra. Only offering products that people actually want to keep. And actually, our tagline is we made this. And we print we made this on all the inner t-shirts of the labels. And we want to feel proud about that. That's something like a proud statement of like, we made this swag.com. But also, if you put the t-shirt on... You should feel like you're wearing a Facebook t-shirt, you know, a Netflix t-shirt. You should feel like you made this, like you're part of the team. You help build whatever company you're wearing. That's the whole point of our brand. And I think for us, it was just about heavy curation, constantly testing products and really trying to ask ourselves. We have a whole product team that does this now. If I received this at a trade show or an event, would I like it? Would I be happy? Would this make it? Would, would this make an impact on me? And often the time it says no. 95% of products we tested didn't make the cut on our site. We've constantly get samples that we don't even look at. We don't put on our site. We would never do it. All the other promotional product sites put it because they're thinking, let's just dump thousands upon thousands upon thousands of products and allow the customer to filter and find what they're looking for. But our feeling is we don't want the customer to find products if it's not going to end up being good. So it has to be really, really quality products. Um, That's the first thing. The second thing is 
for me personally, I, I recommend to customers actually buying products that you're actually going to use. Like if it's a, if it's a mug that you're going to use, who cares about being a walking billboard and saying, look, look at me. It shouldn't be about that. It should be about products that the person who's receiving it feels connected to it. Like a pair of socks, like a really high quality pair of socks will probably be your best swag gift because the person who's wearing it is going to love it. They're going to see it. They're going to feel that connection to the brand. And ultimately they'll become an evangelist and promote your brand. It doesn't need to be from day one of, um, I need a t-shirt because I want them to be visible so that other people could see it. It's less about that. It should be more about the person actually receiving it. Now we did a deal with Facebook um, last year where we did backpacks, really high back, high end backpacks. And the logo was not even anywhere on the outside. It was when you opened up the zipper, it was a, a, a black backpack with the black Facebook logo stitched to the inside label. So only the person who's actually opening the bag sees it. And I, I love that idea. I thought it was great because that really is going to be the thing that causes um, the connection with the brand. And actually without having the Facebook logo on the back, they might actually even wear it more. It might make, you know, be, become part of their everyday thing. And to me, I, I like pushing customers on being thinking a little outside the box and not necessarily what they think they should be doing. Yeah. Two, two interesting things of note there that I, that I want to dig into. Um, the, the first one being on this quality over quantity. I think if I'm a marketing manager or marketing director at a sports team, I have a set budget that I can spend on, on promotions. And so I think a lot of people get tempted to spend on quantity because they want to be able to give more stuff out to more people because that budget's not changing for them. They've got this set budget, but I would argue that you're better off spending more money on the quality items and just giving it out to fewer people. Um, is that, how do you, how do you guys have those conversations with clients? Yeah. By the way, I would, I also be very clear. Like our stuff on our site is not expensive. It's, Quality. So how we look at it is we still have a lot of like inexpensive giveaway type products on our site, but it happens to be the best of those inexpensive giveaways. Like if we were going to be Got giving a pen on our site and we do have pens on our site, we make sure it's the best pen that, that's available. You know, we're going to write it. We're going to have people write the pens, making sure it works, making sure we're only offering stuff that we would actually want. So we say to people, if you want to buy a lot, here it is. But for me, I, I agree with you. I think you should make sure that there's a bigger impact. And the, the, the higher quality, it doesn't have to be expensive. It could still be a $6 water bottle. But that itself, if it's a really high quality, could really make the impact. And you would rather choose a $6 water bottle over the $4 water bottle just to save a little bit of cost. And really, it's going to make one, one bottle is going to be thrown away. One bottle is going to be kept for life. I would think you would try to spend a little bit more to make that impact. The, the other thing I wanted to hit on was... Uh... You know, you mentioned the Facebook example where the logo was like inside the backpack. Uh, my uncle uh, works for Moen, uh, like, you know, kind of sinks and faucets and whatnot. And he was like their head of sales team and he would always order tons of, uh, of promotional swag and we would end up with stuff. But it was always the running joke that like it was almost like a where's Waldo. Like you you had to really search for the logo because, you know, you do like a... Uh, a quarter zip, a black yep. Nike quarter zip that you're wearing every day because it is the nicest quarter zip that you own, but it's black and he'd make the logo black and like on the arm. And so you, same as same. I love that. Is that it's your uncle. Who did yeah, that's that my uncle. He's been doing that for years. So, I mean, like there, there are so many items that I own that are mowing, but they're like the nicest item that I own in that category. And I use it every day. And I think about mowing all the time because it's, I think they took the approach of how can we make it resonate with the individual Instead of saying, let's make it be a walking billboard, like you said. Your, your uncle is so ahead of the time, honestly, because in the industry, knowing this, I felt like our company is the only one. Like every company is all about pushing, pushing, pushing logos here big. And we're trying to be like, think about it, be more thoughtful with it. 
That's really, it's important to be thoughtful and it should be all about the individual. It should not be about, I'm using you to get my message out there. That should not be with the, with the intention of swag is. Beautiful. Um, well, let, let's go into a couple other questions just before we wrap up here. Um, what's, what's something that you've kind of changed your mind on over the last 12 months since the pandemic hit uh, related to the business? Uh, something that you felt like you had a pretty firm belief on and you've kind of changed your mind. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I've changed my mind on anything. I feel like once the pandemic hit, it became kind of like survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, it was for, for a good three month period um, of the business. We didn't really know how would, things would shake out. You know, when our sales get more than cut in half, you kind of have to adapt and try to understand, you know, you throw a lot of things at the wall. You're like the distribution platform ultimately was the thing that saved us, but there's probably 15 other ideas before that, that just didn't work at all. You know, we were doing like pre-kitted welcome gifts with snack foods. And like, we were doing all these random things just to see what would resonate with this new world order. Um, we were selling pots and pans to people at some point. Honestly, people were buying pans from our site because they were at home and we thought, you know, it'd be really cool to do like work from home kind of gifts. So like sell slippers and that definitely was valuable for a period of time. And then it just, you know, went away a little bit. So like all these different there's ebbs and flows with the strategy and what worked at one point didn't work at the other point. So I think for us, not that I had like a vision of, of what it will be. I just kind of take the perspective of we're just going to try everything, really try everything and see what sticks. And if something works, then we're just going to go all in on it and not hold back. A lot of people were telling us, um, friends, investors, everybody that we should cut back. You know, when the pandemic hit, everyone was in that mindset of hibernate, literally, you know, try to make it through survival, go into survival mode. And I took a very different perspective. You know, I, I looked at my team and I said, I don't want to go to survival. I don't want to let people go. I think my team is amazing. They're extremely talented. I don't want to start from scratch. And I figured that because we're nimble enough and we're young enough, a lot of our competition is not going to be able to be as nimble and as adaptable. And they're going to have to do cuts and they're going to have to, you know, really, you know, cut back all of their marketing spend. And what we did is that complete opposite. We went all in. We spent more money on Google ads. We spent more money on content creation. We just went all in. We kept all of our employees. We hired we, our team went from 18 employees when the pandemic hit, and now we're over 36 people in New York. We more than doubled our New York office. It was all going all in. So I don't know if something changed, but something kind of lit a fire under us and said, this is the time. This is like a once in a, in a lifetime event. It's not a great event for the world, but for a business like ours, it's a once in a lifetime event to type of jump over our competition. And we took that opportunity. Yeah, it's it's, it's clearly come to fruition. Uh, this was a question I actually wanted to ask earlier. This is going to be a second to last question before we wrap up with like general advice for the listeners. Uh, so the question essentially was that you guys have had a really good year. And I think one of the biggest orders that you guys have ever had just mm-hmm. came in not too long ago. And it was like 100,000 plus on an mm-hmm. e-commerce online yeah. order. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, we, we've done deals over 200,000 e-commerce, but we, yeah, we've had, we had a it's deal wild. recently that was over 100,000 where we didn't have to speak to anybody. And just so you know, we have zero outbound sales team. Our entire sales is completely inbound because from the very early days, we, we wanted to make our e-commerce site the ultimate sales engine. That we can have sales in the middle of the night, on weekends. Like we have, to, we have to build a site that can answer everyone's questions as if it was a person talking to you. So try to streamline it completely. So yeah, we get orders all the time that are 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 plus that are just completely self-service online. The, re- the reason I ask that is because I think in sports and entertainment too often, I, 
I mean, like I, I you go to any really big uni- university or, or pro team. I think pro teams are, are a little bit better at this, but it's it's hard to buy season tickets online. And the rationale that I, I've heard is that, well, it's kind of a complicated process. We want to make sure they get the right seat. The order is going to be pretty big. But hearing that, I'm like, dude, you could easily do it online. Well, right? 100%. What, what, what might be some advice or ways that you guys thought about it to make that whole process well, better? Go ahead. Yeah, I think I think with the e-commerce side, I think our biggest kind of tool that's worked for us is our intercom chat. We have this live chat feature. So when companies, anything is possible online, I think you just need to give customers confidence. So how you could do that, obviously with the design, the usability, making it feel very safe. There's a lot of different things that you could do to make it feel safer. But probably the best thing you could do to make it feel safe is have like a live chat there with real people who can respond to people's issues. So if someone's trying to buy season tickets and this comes out to thirty, fifty thousand dollars they can still buy it as long as they feel safe that's actually happening. It's a real site that's good transact. They might ask the, 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 the person on the live chat, hey, I just want to make sure this comes out perfect. You know, for us, we get all the time, even if it's a $20,000 order, a customer will upload their logo, mock it up. Everything is done in their check and they say, hey, the estimated in-hand date says March 1st. Um, I need it by February 20th. Can I get this in time? Just like some subtle like nudge. Or it says March 1st. Is it really going to be March 1st? It's going to be March 2nd. I have an event on March 2nd. I need... That's really it. That's all they need is to feel confident. So if you can add confidence, add that level of human interaction just to be there, even if they don't have to use it, just to know that they can use it and not make it like a a a, a bot chat but make it a real person on the other end who will actually respond to your real question, I think will solve a lot of challenges and allow you to really you know do a lot more business through through online. Just out of curiosity, what's the plugin that you guys use for that? Uh, we use Intercom. Intercom, make- okay. Yeah, but there's also really good ones at HubSpot. We use HubSpot as our CRM, and I think we might be transitioning over to HubSpot cool. because we want to keep track of everything in one central location. There's some good ones in the sports and entertainment industry, like Satisfy Labs and others. But anyway, um, Jeremy, this has been awesome. Any final words of advice for our our, uh, our leaders listening? No, I think I mean it's been great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I think my biggest thing with everything is just consistency. So I think if you're an entrepreneur, you're a founder, you're a boss, or um, just being consistent every single day. And I feel like a lot of people, I mind myself, me myself as well. Like you have days where it's not working out. Things are not great. Or you have a bad meeting or you just get down. And I think the people who are going to ultimately win in life are the people who wake up every single day and just be super consistent with it. And you'll find yourself at a completely different place than you ever believed is possible if you just keep pushing forward. So Beautiful. Jeremy, where can people reach you if they, uh, obviously swag.com, but where else can people reach you if they want to follow along your journey, hear more of your advice uh, as as the days go on? Yeah. yeah. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Jeremy Parker. It's hopefully easy to find, or you can send me an email, jeremy at swag.com. If you ever need any help, you want to talk about anything or partnerships, I'm open. I'm open to listening. And, you know, thanks so much, David, for having me on on this uh, podcast. It It was a lot of fun. Perfect. Jeremy, it's been a pleasure, man. Until next time. We'll see you later. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office... We're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. 
Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.